Hey, Ruben Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Knollcast here in the peak of the summer months. Uh, had a second step away. Both of us went on a on a vacation and are ever so happy to be back behind the mic. Bud, we'll thank our friends at Tarpon Cellars, Louisiana Hot Sauce, as always, here at The Jump. Uh, three simple ingredients, one fantastic product uh, for the good people in Iberia, Louisiana, and Tarpon Cellars. It's a fantastic wine that we're ever so fortunate to be able to pair with, and we would encourage our listeners to go to tarponcellars.com. Glad to be back with you here. Uh, been been a little bit. Uh, we were on vacation. The coaches were also on vacation, so pretty good time for us to take ours because it really wasn't, you know, that much happening. But yet, I, I looked at the sheet and uh, the the Patreon members they do provide a lot of questions here tonight. Really appreciate everybody sticking with us. Feel like we've had a a, a pretty, you know, pretty awesome month. And uh, let's go ahead and get into this thing. Do we? We have actually a, a commitment to discuss a, a, a transfer. The, Looks like the last transfer scholarship available for the Knowles. And they go ahead and they grab uh, Marcus. Am I saying this right? Kushney? Kushine? I believe so. I watched a couple of interviews with him over in Kushin. It was what I was what I heard most frequently. Uh, so I really like his tape, bud, a, a lot. I mean, that's, you know, sometimes there's a transfer activity that we might hear a whiff of, uh, you know, coming down the pike. And I know they had uh, PWO'd the kid six weeks ago or whatever it was, but this was a, a surprise to me. Part of that's probably that everybody's on vacation and uh, time away is, is, is good for all of us. Uh, but I, I really like his tape. Uh, A&M only played four games last year. So it's a, you know, if you just want to go by the most immediate tape, it is uh, relatively limited, but real good takeoff, uh, really impressive in the SWAC uh, championship game. Uh, just a, a solid, solid addition that I think, you know, I don't, don't want to get too far over my skis here and, um, and, and go too, too far off the, the positive hyperbole. But I, I think, you know, with the two new additions to the program, you've certainly dramatically altered what you can do from a pass rush perspective. And uh, this is not just a, a one and done thing. You've got this kid in the program for a decent period of time. And uh, by all accounts, he's, he's a, you know, impressive uh, game tape and an impressive off the field. Already graduated, uh, graduated summa cum laude, and has, uh, I believe, two years left with the potential of a red shirt. So, uh, you know, you've got some time to to work with this kid. I I like all that. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to go overboard l- like you. I, I will say that when I was at Mega Camp, I was talking to some staffs uh, about you know some some of the FCS guys they were still looking at in the transfer portal, and the top guy. That they all told me they liked was this kid who I think ended up going to Liberty. He was out of Prairie View A and M, and then they told me about the kid at Alabama A and M as well, uh, who I have to believe is is Cushing. Um, do you think he starts? I think he's got a, a very legitimate chance to start, and I kind of that starter snap idea that we have where we look back at the year. Does a kid get you know north of? 600 snaps or something like that. I think he's got a very legitimate chance. I do. Uh, so you, you realize you just kind of gave me some insider intel on where you might draft him when we do our, our snap count draft. I, I tip my hand there <laughs> a little bit, definitely. Uh, but so I, I think, I think this is a, a fine get for them. Um, I'm like I said, I'm not going to go overboard. I, I mean, it wouldn't shock me if he gives them like 250 snaps on the year, maybe. And most of those are in pass rushing situations. He doesn't look, you know, super big and long. The get off is is pretty good. 
There's also the element here. Why did you PWO him initially? Right? Like, obviously, I think the answer is because you were hoping to do better. Clearly. Otherwise, like, if you thought he was the best player on the board at the time you PWO'd him, you wouldn't have done it. You, you, yeah. would, have, you would have offered him a scholarship then. Better. But as options dry up, then he maybe is the best option on the board for you at a position of need. You have a lot of other guys in that position I don't think you can count on, like Wilson, Peyton, Griffiths, Fuller. Like, do you think you can count any of those guys this year? I, I have my doubts. No, this year is a, is a decent qualifier, even if you remove it from, you know, look, I, I'm, the longer we do this pod, I'm, I'm try to be selective in how I classify kids. And I don't, uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to say they're concerned with some of the most recent, but skeptical as to what they, you know, skeptical as to where that room right now is, is a, uh, is in my opinion, a pretty just, uh, label, uh, from the coach's perspective. And, and I don't think, uh, let me see what I can say here. I think that they've had this kid on their board pretty high. I do think they were having hopes of a ready-made offensive tackle. And at that point, those hopes have been put to bed. And, uh, in my opinion, that's probably what allowed them to transfer from PWO to, to full on scholarship. I mean, I'm not going to tell you, I've talked to Mike Norvell about this kid because I haven't, uh, but I can tell you that the enthusiasm uh, for him is is pretty significant in the building. Now you're always going to get that when a kid commits to you, and you know, staff is rare that they're going to tell you about you know that they had three or four other kids they were hoping to get. But they've there've been one or two other kids in this transfer class that eh, you know they were happy to get involved and and liked what they could do with the program, but weren't necessarily going to aggressively try to sell you as to what he could be either. So. Uh, you know, you can do with that information what you will. I, I think that's fair. Um, and we do believe that Purdue had offered him an actual scholarship spot. So it wasn't like he picked a PWO from Purdue uh, over a PWO offer, you know, from uh, from the Knowles. So, yeah, I, I think he has potential to help this team. I mean, this is not uh, this is not a team that is expecting to make a BCS Bowl. This is a team that, that's trying to find a way to make a bowl. And, I mean, hell, the guy is a productive player even at the FCS level looks like he has some, some decent quickness to him and uh, he does seem to play with a pretty high motor as well that could help you have better competition in practice you know if, if somebody uh, you know like a Fuller or Griffiths is not given championship caliber effort then they could get quickly pushed down the depth chart and uh, you know, maybe you get some attrition going there or something and, and get some guys on the roster who uh, you know who match his intensity level you also put in the notes uh, good GPA so that's that's awesome man um, you know, again, another guy who you think probably helps you with the program, but doesn't help elevate you to, you know, where you ultimately want to go, probably won't be on the team, uh, where like when this team gets to where Mike Norvell wants to take them, assuming he's able to get him there. Uh, but it's, I'm fine with the take. It does kind of signal the fact you're not going to get off to tackle help though. And yeah, that's it, it does. Uh, it does. And, and look, I don't, you know, Having a three nine GPA doesn't mean you're going to beat Clemson's tackle off the edge, right? Uh, but what it does mean is that when you look at a kid who's already graduated in three years, graduated as highly as he did, you know, is that a kid that you can have a pretty high assurance levels going to make his lifts? Yeah, you can. Is it, is it a guy yes, that you exactly. think is going to be paying attention in film? Yeah, you can. I mean, you can have a high degree of confidence as to what you're going to get from this kid now. Look, it'd be great if everybody had a three eight and you know a fifteen hundred on the traditional, you know, the SAT scores that you and I were familiar with growing up. 
doesn't mean a damn thing on the football field. But does it does it mean that you have a little bit higher level of confidence just to buy in from a kid and what he's going to be in your locker room? Yeah, it probably gives you a little bit better idea as to what he'll ultimately be. I mean, not only that, uh, at, at in the SWAC level, they don't have big time academic help, right? You're not going to have tutors who are basically going to do work for you. And not that it happens at the P5, wink, wink, but like, I guarantee you, you don't have the same level of help there. So you, if you have a 3.9 GPA, I mean, I don't know what the quality of education there is, uh, although I, I do know a couple of really smart people that went to Alabama A&M. Um, you probably had to go earn it. And I, there are very few instances where someone is just a total dumbass and a coach is like, man, I hate how this kid acts, but he's got a 3.9 GPA. It's, it's pretty rare, you know? Uh, so I, I agree with you. It's, it's ultimately... I think I'm going to say ultimately good, you know, um, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think it's a, I think it's a solid addition. I think it's a solid addition that in time, uh, Florida state fans could be very excited with. So, you know, that, that, uh, almost certainly absent something totally out of, uh, out of left field or, or right field, um, you know, that, that is your business done in the transfer portal and, and certainly a significant injection into the program. Um, I don't know that we'll, you know, we'll ever see Florida State involved at a level quite like this. It's uh, be fascinating to see what these kids turn out to be. But uh, on the whole, I think you have to feel you know, pretty good about the business that was done and, and what's been brought into the roster. I, I would agree with that. And they also uh, are probably not going to do this again, as you said, because they're going to take a whole lot more high school players this time. Uh, one of those high school players we should transition to is AJ Duffy, who ultimately did make the Elite Eleven uh, as far as getting invited to the to the Elite Eleven finals. That invite came uh, kind of late after a uh, after an unimpressive performance, I would say, at the Elite Eleven Orlando Regional. Um, I think we've covered this on the show. I was at that regional. I wrote the top performers for twenty four seven sports. I didn't think there were anybody who was any good that day, to be honest. Like I thought Duffy was probably the best of a bunch of guys who were underwhelming uh, on that day, but he looked much better at the IMG practices that, that I've been to. Obviously, he had a really nice sophomore season out there uh, in California, and his junior season got canceled. So we're, we're anxious to see him play this fall. Uh, but the reports out of the, out of the Elite Eleven from Steve Wilfong and those guys were. Sort of underwhelming in all the drills, and maybe gas a little bit or tired at the end. It seems if you if you watch some of the highlights, but I was very good in the seven on seven portion. I have to tell you uh, that is pretty consistent with what I've seen of him so far. He is very good at seven on seven. Uh, I don't. Uh, he's not impressive when you watch him go through drills. I don't know what else to say. It. it I don't want to sit here and tell you the kid doesn't give a damn about it. I don't think that's necessarily the case. But some of these kids have a little more buy-in to like the rah-rah, elite, 11, elite, 11, all, all that kind of you know hoopla crap. Um, and I just don't see him as that kind of guy. You know, He's sort of like, I, he knows he's going to college. I don't want to say big time. That's not what I'm trying to get at here. But I, I don't know. Like... It's not collegiate feel. Like there's not a whole lot of like youth ball feel to him. You see what I'm saying? Just he's yeah. not. Well, I don't know. Uh, IMG's probably not, not going to play place to bring it out of him either. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I certainly get what you're saying, and um, yeah, we'll just see how much that translates. I mean, there's certainly an awful lot of 
positivity on the whole. Duffy, probably the best quarterback Florida State signed in quite some time. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what it translates on on the field. But uh, if you're a Florida State fan and you're excited about Duffy, I would not let a Elite 11 performance uh, sway you from that. I will also say that the uh, the rankings on 24-7 sports routinely absolutely crush the top picks by Elite 11. It is not close. It is a bloodbath. And we love Elite 11. I love the camps. Obviously, I like going. There ain't no doubt. Our, like, like, our lists are better than who they decide to invite, I think. Mm. I think Elite 11 has gotten better over time. I also think 24-7 sports has got better over time. All the rankings I'm referring to, by the way, are the ones before I got here because obviously I've only been here you know, for about 16 months. Um, but it's, it's just kind of how, how it is. One of the questions I would have, though, I think if I was a listener, so I'm going to just pose it and answer it, is like, are you worried? Are the drills exposing any sort of limitations or flaws in Duffy's game? Um, I don't think he's particularly twitchy feet-wise. That's not to say he's unathletic, but I don't think he is um, is somebody who really is going to open it up and and go on a bunch of long runs. I'm interested to see him move around in the pocket. Obviously, I haven't really had to see him do that with people around him, like not and not somebody chasing him with a stick, you know, in in one of these like faux trainer guys doing it. Uh, But I would say that's probably one of those things they have. You know, they have tried to incorporate more mobility into Elite Eleven stuff in recent years. And that's possible that that could be, you know, one of the reasons. Um, but I will tell you, there are guys who absolutely train to be good at the Elite Eleven drills, mm-hmm. and then they just look like crap when they actually have to drop back and read a defense in seven on. Now, seven on is not a be all end all. If you're good at seven on, I actually don't think it makes like it's not one of these things where I may have said this before on the show too. But follow me here. If you're good at seven on, I don't think it actually is that great an indicator that you're going to be a great college quarterback. If you are really bad at seven on, I find it very concerning. It is extremely rare to me, based on anecdotal evidence, I've not been able to track this because I don't have the data going back, but at all these events I've ever been to, if you just flat out suck at seven on, even with guys you never played before, it, it usually means you can't process fast enough. You can't see the field very well. And that's just something that, despite all the money these QB gurus take off these parents, it's hard to fix, man. And Duffy is somebody who I think, you know, you watch the sophomore stuff. If you watch him play seven on, I think he just sees the field well. And uh, that's something that's hard to teach. Like, I don't think Mike Norvell and Dillingham are going to all of a sudden get somebody who can't, can't see the field well in there and be able to teach it to them. So it's kind of one of those things. Now, you can improve it some. I just think, I kind of think it's kind of innate. Same as, you know, accuracy to a certain standpoint, right? You know, if you can't put the ball on somebody on air, that's tough. That's that's just tough, man. It was kind of the DeAndre Francois problem, which we yes. call, which we said by the way at the time. Yeah, uh, no, we were uh, yeah we were first guessed or had first concerns about uh, Mr. Francois's accuracy, and unfortunately, those concerns were never assuaged. She would do a little NLI talk, not a ton of it, as we said. This will not be. Something I want to do some that, NIL talk, bro. Yeah, yeah, not something that'll <laughs> dominate the. Uh, the null cast, although, you know, we'll, we'll continue to follow it and not in, not an area that we're going to run from. I'll, I'll put it that way. Um, all right. So should we start with, uh, should we start some, with some in-house tweets and then, and then work abroad? 
I think so. Yeah. What 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 are you referring to here? <laughs> I would uh, you know, we we're we're, we're always uh, we're never shy to, to compliment the the good man Jeff Cameron and the show that he's done for a long time. Uh Jeff Cameron has his PR firm as a running joke on a show, and I always get a chuckle out of it. Uh, I, in a way, I would almost like to offer my services to some of these college kids. Uh, and uh, the one tweet that I'm referencing from a Florida State perspective is is from one Dante Lucas. I'm, I'm not going to pull it up and read it verbatim, but like complaining about uh, where you are right now in the NLS and the NLI cycle. Um, and that the institution that you're at hasn't done enough for you. That's you mean NIL? Because some NIL. people would say that Lucas hasn't done a damn thing since signing the NIL. Right, since signing. And I don't know why. That's, that's going to be tough for my I've been doing it the same to, thing, man. I don't know why I can't break myself with this. Yeah. Um, it, <laughs> so frequently when you address and approach sponsors, which is something that I can speak at at a pretty uh, <laughs> advanced level, like you want to address that as though you guys are going to be a team. You guys are going to work towards a similar goal and you have a somewhat of a clearly defined idea as to where you need to get. Doesn't necessarily mean that you, you know, sell X bottles of hot sauce or whatever else, but uh, that you guys are trying to work in a and develop a relationship that's mutually beneficial for everybody. Like for my man, Dante Lucas there, I, I hate it for him because he's basically poison pilling himself right now by doing this and going out on Twitter and, and uh, some of the complaints that, that have been made. And, and let's not make too big of a deal of it, but it is a good example as to, you know, some larger kind of real world repercussions coming from, um, from kids as they try to uh, pursue a, a sponsorship. And, and you know, I, I think we've been a pretty pro Dante Lucas uh, as far as wanting the best for him. And, and that's not explaining some of the challenges that he's had to overcome. Yeah, I yeah, still do. Sure. I just, you know, I want I want these kids to make as much money as possible. And I want them to put themselves in a place to make as much money as possible. And I'm not sure that being critical of the university is a good way of going about that cause. Yeah. And for those of y'all who didn't see it, basically, uh, he was complaining. Did he tag FSU football? Or did you just... I, 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 he was complaining that they were not showcasing him because FSU was putting out some some tweets and IG posts that had included the, the player's uh, handle. And he was like, I basically like, like they need to show me some love so I can get my, my NIL money. And, and uh, I, I made a bunch of plays too. Um, I wouldn't sponsor Dante Lucas if I'm a business, right? Because I can't trust like Dante Lucas is on my team. If I'm Florida state and he's popping off. It's just a real world. Like let's, let's have real world talk here, right? He's popping off on the team that he's on. If all of a sudden I sponsor him, he's on my team. If he has a problem, I kind of want him to come to me internally there, you know, especially if it's something that is probably unfounded or maybe they were going to get to it eventually. And the claim that he's made a bunch of plays, I don't really think that's actually true. Um, yeah, just it's a good example. Kids are going to have to learn. And you know, a lot of them are still kids, especially emotionally, uh, for sure. They're going to have to learn that. Some of the things you say can and, and will impact you as far as your build, your build, your build. I really don't think Dante Lucas was going to get marketing anyway, you know, um, obviously because of the whole like fact that he really doesn't, he has played very well and is not famous and FSU is not a good team. Other than that, uh, 
probably not. But it's just, it's not a good look to do that if in the NIL era, right? Do you think Marvin Wilson would have tweeted what he tweeted in the NIL era? To kind of take it back uh, I, to last year? Yeah, I certainly would hope not. Certainly would hope not. Um, I wouldn't. Maybe he would have. Maybe, maybe like he, he certainly felt pretty passionate about it at the time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's hard to say, actually. I, I, I just thought about 50, top 50. of my head. I, I haven't been thinking about it, but. Um, yeah. Um, hmm. Who knows? You know, we'll see how it goes. We'll see what comes to this. Like we said, we want nothing but the best uh, for these kids and. You know, desperately want these guys to to get a real chance to make some money, and uh, want them to you know go about whatever avenue brings that money to them. So, for sure. Uh, speaking of ranking some real money, man, if you get an excellent rate on your mortgage or your refi, you will make some real money over the course of time. And we have some really exciting news here. As you all know, more than 160 Nolcast listeners have used Shannon and Chad at the Legendary Team to get their mortgage or refi. I've done it twice, so that's pretty cool. And Ingram, you could have done it, man, if, if you just waited about about a year, uh, because now Shannon and Chad are licensed in the state of Georgia. Very excited. And more states coming as well. But now we can officially say 844-FSU loan will get you hooked up in the state of Georgia. So that's pretty cool. And uh, guys, congratulations on that. We know they're going to be getting some calls from our listeners in Georgia. Got a lot of folks that you know live, or not live, but work in Tallahassee. And they, they live just over the border there, and they want to be able to avail themselves of those services. So the guys went out, they passed their test, and they, they got licensed in Georgia. 844 FSU loan, look them up, tell them we sent you. Absolutely. So uh, let's let's move to a, a quick <laughs> reference point that I think might have brought about uh, Lucas, or at least will certainly catch the eye of, of some players out there. And I, I think something... Similar to this for Florida State is in the works. It may take a little while for it to come to fruition, but uh, this is something that you know not to not to beat my uh, beat my own chest too hard. But this has kind of been the direction that I've seen this uh, name, <laughs> image, and likeness uh, going, and uh, that is the broader kind of team wise deal uh, that by now is probably week old news or something that Miami signed. But it looks like you know roughly kids are going to get five k a year. They're uh, image and likeness can be used in the promotion of this, uh, you know, what, uh, uh, mixed martial arts gym, I believe. Yeah. It is. Okay. So I, I do know about this. So this, this is the uh, American top team, which is a, uh, it's a chain of MMA gyms. It's a, like, I am not a big MMA guy, but I have some buddies who really like MMA and they basically explained to me, like, it's, uh, it's, like the biggest or one of the biggest MMA chains out there. There are a lot of champions in the MMA and UFC and whatnot. Who the MMA? Jeez, uh, in UFC uh, and around the world, who use American Top Team? It's an international business. This is not like some mom and pop Miami gym uh, deciding to sponsor these guys. Like it, it's a pretty big company. Uh, that said, are they really getting true value out of it? I don't know. Uh, I know the owner there is also hooked up with an organization called I believe it's Bring Back the U which I'm not totally clear on how that works. The name almost sounds like it's a fund. You know what I mean? Like they boosters or people who want to see the U come back, donate, and then they find businesses to get that money to the players, which is pretty smart. If you can get, if you can get that kind of work uh, for the guys. But one of the real values in this, if you want to look at it from a pure business perspective is that they got written up and talked about on like every podcast and every newspaper and, 
website out there, including this one right now. I mean, we just said American Top Team a couple times. Do you, I wonder if they're going to continue to do this every single year because certainly the bottom, like half of that roster is not worth it to those guys as far as like from a marketing standpoint. They, they just don't have marketability. But that's not yeah. really what all this is about necessarily. Right. Uh, that's exactly it. I mean, it's a, you know, how, how many, how many checks are you willing to write with the idea that you're not going to get any kind of return on it? You're just providing a, you know, higher floor for the overall organization. And, you know, in time, I guess you could say, Hey, look, if, if we turn Miami back into a <clears throat> top eight program and, you know, our name is associated with that and we have some kind of decade long deal that that could pay greater dividends than, uh, than what's immediately, uh, you know, displayed or seen. But, uh, I do think, you know, it'll be fascinating. I think Miami will, We'll probably uh, continue to get some deals like this. And, and, you know, this is an area of strength for Miami. It's, uh, I'll acknowledge that and uh, we'll be fascinated to see how this plays out. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you, I've had some uh, very good friends and some people that I know loosely have, have kicked around the idea of creating, um, you know, some kind of <laughs> similar organization for a year. And when this news broke, I just texted them and said, just go ahead and create it, you know, go ahead and, and do whatever it was that you had an interest in. I think this will be, you know, a, a similar uh, series of events will play out around the country where you see broader team-wide, uh, you know, sponsorships like this. And for some people, there may be some value in it. For others, uh, you know, maybe then a, a, a gym bag that had $30,000 in it doesn't get uh, dropped off at a hotel room. It gets funneled through a more legitimate organization. And uh, that's the way that they support the program rather than, you know, giving somebody's mom some kind of large lump sum of money two days before signing day or something like that. Or, or, or no show job or, or, yeah, exactly. I, I will say, first of all, I don't think all that stuff's going to go away. Um, oh, personally, I, I think there are some, uh, I can guarantee, I can, yeah, it will yeah. not be going away. No. Now, some of it, some of it will change. Some people are, are going to just be like, all right, I don't want to deal with the sort of illegality of, of not doing it above board with NIL. Um, but, Look, you got to pay taxes on it, right? Uh, now, granted, some of the stuff is basically just sophisticated money, la- money laundering anyway, if you don't do the cash route. So somebody's paying taxes on it eventually anyway. But um, yeah, I agree with you. This is going to be interesting. I am curious. Uh, FSU was one of the first to tout the Apex program. You and I, at least, well, I, I said it. I think, you, I think you liked it too, if I recall the, our combo. Said we thought it was a, a smart program um, as far as getting guys hooked up with the marketplace. They got with a pretty reputable brand, at least in the, in the, in the infancy of NIL, an influencer for the Apex program that they were getting the course credit and all that stuff. But are they going to connect the right people with the right people to do the, to do the sponsorship deals that are not really about marketing and, and creating value? For, for the for the business, but you know what, man? Like businesses and people who own businesses donate to the university all the time in in numbers that are like I know you got to put down a donation to to secure your season tickets, but the donations far exceed the value of, of season tickets. And we've talked many times about needing to uncouple the donation from the season ticket idea necessarily to create additional value. Um, I think it's it's not crazy to think that people will donate money to a cause they like, even if the actual value provided to their business is not uh, you know, commensurate with the actual, do- like the actual value that they, they donated. 
that was a little bit rambling. I apologize, guys. Um, it's it's been a long long weekend. Uh, I didn't think it to be rambling at all. And yeah, no, man. Uh, Buds have a run of it. It's a private individual. I'll, I'll leave it at that. Uh, but you know, I was happy you were able to have vacation. Uh, and then you know, glad that we're able to back behind the mic with you tonight. Uh, and I'll leave it at that unless you want to disclose further. Um, all right. So what do we got here? Here's a little bit of a null cast conversation. (laughs) Um, compliance, bud. Oh yeah. This is interesting. What does this do with compliance? Exactly. I mean, you can make an argument that uh, people in compliance will probably tell you that, you know, in some ways compliance is, is needed now more than ever. But, um, if you step away from maybe those that are actively involved, um, it's hard to see there being a huge role for compliance moving forward. I mean, I, obviously I'm not saying that department's going to get completely gutted and, uh, yeah, I know some, some really good people in compliance. A lot of them are people who have a deep drive, you know, passion for sports and happen to have a law degree. So, you know, I think we know one or two people that a Venn diagram is, uh, is colored in there, uh, have some good friends at Georgia tech, but I, I am, uh, you know, I'll be fascinated to see what compliance looks like in three years from now. In my opinion, these staffs may need to be 25% of what they were previously. Uh, I just don't know the real role that they have to play and what that's ultimately going to look at. And a lot of these universities spend a, you know, a, a rather significant amount on compliance. So uh, it'll be you know, an area that if uh, somebody gets a spreadsheet on and, and wants to cut costs, may, may be something that jumps out at them uh, before before other areas in this uh, kind of new era that we're in. And this is a weird conversation to have because I do actually have friends in compliance, not not a issue compliance, but um, across the country. So for the most part, let's just think about what the root word of compliance is. But what are we complying with? The, the rules. Okay. Well, not the rules of the game because compliance doesn't really have anything to do with that. For the most part, it's the rules that are set down by the member schools that encompass the NCAA's membership. And for them, a lot of these rules are related to eligibility, extra benefits, things like that. Well, that extra benefits rule is not necessary if you just let the guys make the money that the market dictates their worth. And by market value, I mean whatever people are willing to pay them. Be that like their market value for endorsements or just that, look, if I'm you know Joe Millionaire Booster, I want to pay this guy to play for my team. There's nothing immoral about that. It shouldn't be illegal. Uh, and at some point, the NCAA is going to lose you know, on that as well. I don't know how hard they're going to be able to police name, image, and likeness getting money to players, getting money to recruits. Like It's hard to stop those market forces for a long time. And quite frankly, it's anti-American to not want players to be able to get money unless you just hate capitalism, which I'm sure some folks do, but um, it's kind of not really... We said July 4th, what the country's about. So, um, yeah, I think you bring up a really good point here. If you lose a lot of the rules that compliance has to enforce, the workload is decrease. The only way I see them not needing to, and this is not FSU, but like everybody out there, do you see a way in which the compliance staffs don't shrink some? 
if unless the rules are are, are changed, because I know right now they're like, oh, we got to figure out if all these guys are, are you know, getting uh, you know undue compensation above market value and make sure they're conflict with boosters. Why? Why is all of that necessary? Why not just allow the kids to get paid what the market dictates their worth? The only way I could immediately see something like that happens is if in the next 16 months, like one of these massive blue bloods, uh, Alabama, whatever name you want to spill, like gets in significant trouble because they, they had players that acted in a manner that were outside the set of rules that even now are, are, you know, really loosely defined. It would take, uh, something like that, I think, for uh, people within an industry to be able to point at and say, like, you know, we're we're the guardrails that keep this from happening. Something, and in today's world, I have a hard time even kind of hypothetically coming up with what that would be. But there would, in my opinion, there would there would have to be some kind of significant um, event that was, you know, tied to the the new world of uh, name, image, and likeness that. That still proved, uh, you know, their their worth and, and not their worth. That's a bad choice of words, but their their need for in an era that kind of looks like they may not be needed in in the manner that they were previously. Okay, so I have a stat. I want to break this out here. I forgot that we had discussed this uh, over the break. Um, so, in 1996, Steve Spurrier became the first guy to make a million dollars per season coaching college football. If you were to take that money and just apply inflation over the last 25 years to it, which is how long it's been, Steve Spurrier would be making 1.7 in today's dollars, which is still a hell of a lot of money to coach college kids to play football. You know, back then it was a really, really big deal. Oh my God, a college coach is getting a million dollars. And I think the reaction was correct. It was like, wow, these are college kids. You know, they don't get paid anything. And now we're going to pay the coaches a million bucks. But Ingram, the best coaches in college football now, they don't make $1.7 million per year. Defensive coordinators too. Yeah. The best head coaches in college football make $9 million. The top college football coaching salaries have outpaced inflation in America over the last 25 years by almost 6x. People are like, oh, why, why all the call for the kids to get paid now? Guys, because the money's there to do it. It just keeps going to, you know, a spin down to facilities, to bloated staffing, to you know, crazy coaching salaries. There's absolutely money for the players to get a piece. And I think we're starting to see this now with NIL across the country in, in the form of some of these boosters willing to pony up to do it. And if the schools have to pony up to do it too, awesome. Uh, maybe that is maybe that's where the compliance thing will come in. Maybe they'll figure out a way to salary cap it or have some you know, collective bargaining thing. And then that, that'll be the job of, of folks in compliance. But there, there are all kinds of other issues that compliance handles, by the way. I don't want to make it sound like that's all they chase down. I mean, they, they handle eligibility issues like international students coming over and different credits transferring, uh, a whole lot of, there's a lot of rule stuff that they have to factor in. It's, it's not all regulating who, who put, who put out you know, too much cream cheese for the kids in the morning like it was five or six years ago. Remember that? Uh, that was crazy. Yeah. I, I imagine Florida State's female uh, soccer program, if nothing else, gives gives uh, the compliance department in Tallahassee a significant amount of uh, of work to do. Simply heavy international contingent there, heavily international yeah. contingent. Yes, and and people that have uh, you know played 
played ball in a manner where they maybe have been, uh, you know, received a check or, or rather significant benefits if they're in one of these, uh, you know, soccer clubs, development academies or whatever else. So, yeah, I'm sure that's probably a pretty complicated ball of, uh, of twine to, you know, unwind and, and make sure that they're eligible under the, under the current, um, you know, NCAA uh, guidelines. So uh, certainly not sitting here talking about the, you know, doing away with the department, just fascinated to see how that evolves over the next two or three years and, and what compliance departments look like in, in 2025. No doubt. All right. Uh, you want to go some listener questions here? Yeah. About half an some, hour uh, some listener questions to jump into. We've got a couple of really good ones that we're going to uh, table for a future show as well. Uh, first one comes from Mac and Mac asks if the Arizona state scandal helps with a little bit of decommitment prevention with AJ Duffy, absent new schools getting involved, it seemed like Arizona State and Michigan State were the primary competition, and uh, Mac likes Florida State's chances against Michigan State. I I totally agree. Yeah, uh, Mac, I, I, I'm not going to belabor the point here. Yes, it obviously does. I think there's a, a realistic chance that that whole coaching staff gets fired. It may take a little while because the AD who brought them on uh, was Herm Edwards' former agent, so. I mean, if, if they go down, I guess that he, he goes down with the ship, which can take a while as opposed to an AD trying to save his job and get rid of the coaching staff. He's pretty well tied to them. Uh, but yeah, I think, I think you nailed it. It does give FSU a greater certainty of holding on to Duffy. And, and Duffy is somebody who's actively recruiting for FSU. So at this point, I don't have any reason to believe that he will go anywhere else, but the, the games still have to be played. So always something I guess you're keeping an eye on. Second question comes from Patrick. Patrick has uh, three different overs and unders. Ooh, okay. He also uh, speaks very highly of Shannon and Chad. Uh, it's, he has had firsthand uh, workings with them and always great to hear uh, Patreons of ours that have had uh, positive experiences with uh, the best mortgage guys in the business. First one is over under five of the current verbal commitments end up signing with school other than Florida State on signing day. Okay, positive one straight out of the gate there. All right, so currently FSU has 15 commitments. They have the number six class in the country. Uh, by the way, you know the, the class rankings right now do not factor in transfers. I think by the fall, uh, or at least by signing day, they, they will. Um, but there, I, I think there should still be a separate product as well for the high school if you want to just judge it by that. But you're not getting the full picture if you don't include transfers uh, in in my opinion so uh yeah let's think about this over under a five so there's basically a couple ways that this can this can work either a player that they took is not good enough i could see a couple guys you know panning out like that right where they maybe their senior seasons just don't match up to what fsu thought they would project them to do sure it, it, you're, you're still doing a whole lot of pandemic scouting here or guys who maybe decommit or flip because the season is not as good uh, as you wanted them or as you wanted it to be. It's still a good number. You know, like I, I, I think the numbers say take the over, but my, my gut says take the under on five. There's a whole lot of guys who really like this class quite a bit. Um, like I don't really see Charlton going anywhere, assuming he reshapes his body. But again, that's an assumption. What what happens with Powers? He's kind of a, a project out of Texas who 
could blow up, but also is not proven yet. Courtney, I've never seen him in person. No, 6'3", 223, tight end. Crazy good athleticism scores at one of his verified camps, I guess. Omar Graham, I mean, they like him. I think his rating is actually you know, just fine where it is, personally. Bishop Thomas, is he going to be at Bishop Moore in the fall? Do we know where he's going to attend? I, I, I had some people who weren't sure what school he's going to be going to. Um, I assume he's going to stay in Florida. You know, what happens with Rodney Hill? Like, I, he seems to be pretty locked in there. Does, does Antavius Woody qualify? Does Sam McCall stick with you? Uh, does, does Alu Ba totally blow up and then maybe you have to, to fight a, a second wave of, of suitors for him? The IMG offensive lineman who is, has started to reshape his body and, and looks better now than he used to about you know, a year ago. But man, I still think like half this class is like pretty rock solid. And to go over on five means you, you think six is more likely than four. I don't know. I think five is a good number. You got an opinion here? Yeah, I, I, uh, I think it's a good one. I'm maybe this is just a homer in me. I'm, I'm going to take the under here. I have a hard time now. Grades are, I think there's only one or two kids at least at this point in time that I'm familiar with real grade concerns, but I, I would be at this point more concerned. Uh, I just don't see four, uh, I don't see five traditional decommitments signing with another school on another school's roster, um, ultimately. So we'll have to see. I, I take the under here and, uh, again, hope that I'm not looking at a situation through garnet and gold glasses. Uh, second over-under is Florida State's class of 22. Once the ink drives, comes in at a cumulative score of 260. And, Bud, you are more familiar with the scoring process than I am, so I'll, uh, I'll let you run with that one. All right, so just to, to give you guys an example here, uh, last year's class, or let, let me go to like a, a standard kind of, well, I can't go to a non-pandemic year because a lot of these classes out there are not going to you know, do that. So 260 kind of gets you generally in that range between like 12 and 16. I'm not even going to play the class calculator here. I, I feel fairly confident that FSU can get 260. I do. Uh, and that, North Carolina, or Michigan got 260.6 last year. They, they had, uh, had one five star, 11 four stars and 10 three star players. I just, I think FSU can get there. What, what are they at now? One, two five stars, two, three, four, five, you know, five four stars. Probably about what 10 or 11, I guess the math is on that, you know, three star types. You know, maybe there's a chance one of the three stars could get bumped up to four stars. I think most of their three stars deserve to be three stars at this point, uh, personally. But I think there's probably more upside than there is downside eh, for the most part. I think one of their four stars should be a three star. But uh, 260? Yeah, I, I think they'll hit 260. If you uh, the, the number is, is, is maybe a little bit low for my taste. So I think you'd almost have to go Two seventy something to get me to say under. Just because I, I think there's gonna be a lot of kids that, that don't have don't have spots at other schools. If she's gonna be able to clean up some of those, 
a, uh, a long since t- uh, thought and belief that's been uh, verbalized on this podcast. Final one for Patrick is Florida State signs five offensive linemen in this cycle. Current commitments from Sap, Charlton, and Bah, unless I am forgetting a name there. Um, signs five. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's probably where the number is. Maybe six. If, if this goes in any way, I think five's the number. Uh, if it goes in any way, I would say six is more likely than four. Me personally. Oh, no doubt. Yeah, I, I think they would like to take six. Um, I It would not totally shock me if they ended up with seven committed at one point and then somebody dropped. Like basically just figure out, okay, they're they're selling playing time, no doubt. And that's just kind of what you do if you are in a rebuild like the Knowles are. But you do want to figure out who only cares about playing time, right? Um, so yeah, I think I think I think the numbers like five and a half, and I would probably go over. All right, Daniel, who's a, a, a new patron, patreon.com slash nolcast. Hey guys, love the show. This is a long question. I'm gonna read this one second. Uh, I had a question for the show. Wasn't sure when to put it. Uh, so I hope messaging is okay. Absolutely. You guys talk about this. I'm so apologetic. feel like you've covered it. I was wondering uh, like, how to feel about Norvell's success in recruiting so far. Do you feel like all these things he's done are the best use of his time and it happens to be paying off? So I only listen to one school's podcast. Y'all obviously, and I was sort of wondering like, are things Norvell has been doing like the camps and the slingshot, just normal things a good recruiter does? Uh, is he rolling the dice on these instead of just IDK, whatever else the coach might be doing in the offseason? I think you had mentioned a lot of the future positive stuff that might come from the youth camps uh, and getting to know high school coaches in Florida. So it seems like a slam dunk. But I just wondered what other coaches, uh, either similar to Norvell uh, or established programs, like how are they spending their summers if it's wildly different? Uh, sorry if I'm rambling or unclear. Love the show and happy to finally join the Patreon. Awesome. Yeah, I really appreciate you joining up, Daniel. That's great. I'm happy to take the question. So uh, I will say that I think FSU staff is uh, very seriously here not being outworked in the month of June by any staff out there in the country. Their guys were told in no uncertain terms, hey, there will be no off days in June. That's not normal, but it's also not normal to not be able to meet the players you're recruiting for the first 15 or 16 months that you have the job. Norvell had to do this to make up for a whole lot of lost time. Will it work? I I think eventually there's no reason to think that it, is you know it won't be more effective than doing nothing. It does get you some face time. Now I don't think they're able to talk to him a whole lot, but Demario Tolan, one of their top linebacker targets, in my opinion, their you know number one linebacker target, he committed to LSU. Tolan was actually, I believe, the ride for his little brother to the youth camp in Orlando or Tampa. I forgot which one. So it is getting him more exposure and more uh, familiarity with the staff, but it doesn't always pay off. Right, FSU wasn't even seriously in that race, and that's that sucks for them because they need they need better linebackers on the team. They need Chris Marv to recruit a little better there, in my opinion. Uh, but what are other staffs doing? So, Lakin Riley at Oklahoma, who is not a new coach, he's been coaching for several years now at the head coach level, and didn't have this kind of weird COVID stuff impact his recruiting like like a new staff would, like Norvell's or you know, like somebody else like that. Uh, he brought out a bunch of like Ferraris and Lamborghinis and, and had them on the field for their barbecue. There are a lot of, of schools out there that are doing the private meetups. They're having the kind of, hey, come to our summer camp, but it's more like an exclusive invite thing. FSU did that on Elite Camp Night. They're going to have an event at the end of July as well. 
I do not see other schools out there doing the same number of the youth camps and the volunteering and stuff like that that FSU is. This has got noticed because it has gone above and beyond. Was it a uh, NCAA violation for the presence of a Lamborghini, bud? I, I, I don't know. Should it be? Did, uh, did somebody say something? I'm joking that a couple Gators suggested that when our man from Bob Beach committed at the uh, the opening four or five. Oh, years. right. That was I, a, I, yes. a rather obscure inside joke. Not that I'm. Uh, <laughs> I totally forgot those out at any time. So, uh, but yeah, no, I just a uh, little little chuckle from the past came through my mind there. She mentioned that. Uh, all right, so Cole has the next question. Hey, guys, so the season gets closer and closer. Uh, so as the season gets closer and closer, I can't help but put my ignorant fan hat on. Look at the schedule and think, wow, no way we go worse than 6-6 six and six this year. And if a few things fall right, maybe we get to eight wins. I know this is uh, no just wishful thinking, but hey, what's the point of being a sports fan if you can't be wishful during the offseason? So basically, I have the season split into three game types, absolute wins. Uh, of which Syracuse, Jacksonville State, UMass uh, fall into this category. Should win slash toss up, which is an interesting <laughs> category, but we'll move on. Uh, NC State, Wake, Louisville, BC, and losses, Clemson, UF, UNC, Miami, and Notre Dame. I know that everybody is saying such a tough schedule, and five and seven is, is most likely, but I can't help but think that if we've been, if we beat three out of four of NC State, Louisville, BC, and Wake, then we are nowhere. Then hold on, I'm sorry. Then we are nowhere near heading the right direction. Like like he's he's saying, okay, if they do okay. pull three out of four off. Like they they have to be heading in the right direction. Yes, thank you, uh, Bud Elliott, man who makes sentences make sense to me. I mean, even with the last three to four years, we still recruit better than all those schools, and I feel like we have more talent than those schools as well. I'd love to hear y'all's thoughts on that. I'm also wondering. If you think it's more likely we win all the toss-up games listed above and go 4-0, and or we lose all of the possible uh, loss category and go 0-5. Thanks as always. Oh, okay. So this is, this is very interesting um, in a couple ways. This, this is a, a fun question. Some of it's mathy. Some of it's not. Um, I guess let's just take the first. So I, the, the, the part at which you chuckled was interesting. The should win slash toss ups. I think you need to take the should win out of that. I have NC State as a favorite in that game. I think if if you look at some of the numbers David Hale put out, you can make a really convincing argument that Louisville was one of the most unlucky teams in the country last year when it came to turnovers, and he expects them to have a big bounce back year. Wake was a better team than you were last year, and Boston College, I think, probably was as well. Granted. A lot of different circumstances. It's hard to take last year's data and just totally extrapolate it for. Um, as far as the recruiting better than those teams, yeah, per the rankings, for sure. But those teams also haven't had the same amount of turnover that you've had, which has wrecked your roster. I And I'm sure people will clip this. I will take NC State's roster over FSU's roster every single day of the week for this year. I, like, I don't think it's, hey, I'd probably rather have them. No, I would rather have that roster. I think they have a better quarterback. I think they have better on the lines of scrimmage. I think their playmakers on the outside are better. I think they're a better football team than FSU is. What do you think about the... Uh, uh, so the other thing is like, I, I, when you have a schedule with this many type toss-ups or games that are going to be lined 
seven-point favorite and seven-point underdog. I'm not quite as concerned with the record. FSU's in a long-term rebuild here. I do think it's kind of important they make it to a bowl for recruiting, but they were 85th last year in SP+. They were bottom third in the country, basically, in terms of you know where, where they rated in, in, in the nation college football. If they can get to like top 50, not top 25, top 50, I think that would show tangible progress. I, I would still be on board that things are, are happening and moving in the right direction. But top 50 is probably a five and seven re- type record, if we're being frank here. This is not, not an easy schedule. There's a lot of teams. It, it would be an easier schedule if you were an elite team, but you're not an elite team. You're not even an average team. You're kind of a below average football team, I believe. Maybe we'll be better. Maybe you'll be able to pull off six and six, seven and five. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. What do you think about this question? This is kind of interesting. More likely that FSU wins all the four toss up games, which again, for listeners at home, NC State, Wake, Louisville, BC, or did they lose yeah, the, uh, the more sure loss game? answer here? I mean, it's, uh, I think it's, I think it's more likely you go 0 and 5 in the group that, uh, that he lists. You're just not. Yeah. Quite there yet. I mean, well, be, because you have Clemson in that group games. too. It'd be great to win one of those games. All right. Let, let's just let's just ballpark this, right? So let's just go ahead and and, and take him at his word. Toss ups. So 0. 0.5 times 0. 0.5 times 0. 0.5 times 0. 0.5. What's the chance that you go four and zero in those toss up games? Four zero and four. It's the exact same. It's about six percent. Assuming they're all independent of one another, and we know they're not actually like if issues a variable in this that you know is going to probably you know be, be pretty pretty impactful. So about a six percent chance to do that. Clemson, what what you what what percentage chance would you say Clemson has to win? Ninety nine, ninety nine point five. Yeah, um, yes. Florida State has a. I mean, we're we're arguing semantics. Florida right. State has less than. Two percent chance to win that game. Florida probably eighty-eight, ninety. Uh, I might be. Yeah, I'd have it around eighty-five. But again, we're we're splitting hairs. Okay. Uh, UNC, it's on the road. You're probably like, I'm right probably, about the same percent. To be honest with you, I, I yeah. think UNC is going to want blood, uh, which you know doesn't come as a surprise. I agree. Miami, uh, it's in Tallahassee. All the all the projection models love this Miami team. So, what are you a nine point dog? Then I think I saw seven point dog, something like that. Uh, and then Notre Dame again, I mean, al- almost a ten point dog. Notre Dame's getting back their top receivers they didn't have last year for the whole year. So, and conservatively, even if you give Notre Dame what a seventy percent chance to win, that thirty that's thirty two percent. I mean, you're about you're about five times more likely to go 0-5 in those than you are to go 4-0 in your toss-ups if we just want to be frank here. Think about that. That's pretty stark. We've had a couple stark numbers tonight. It's been the the inflation of the college coaching salaries and then also the more likely to go 0-5 in, in your your games where, where you're a guaranteed underdog uh, than you are 4-0 in your toss-ups. Well, ain't, ain't going to be easy. No, it's not going to be easy. And, and if you get one, that's great. Um, let's let's hope you do. Maybe it's Miami. You really got to find a way to get two, though, I feel like. Because four and eight is, is going to just lead to, to a lot of questions. You feel like you need to get two out of that group of five? Well, a group of four I'm talking about. Oh, excuse me. 
I, I, I mean, I mean, the toss ups. I think yeah, you need to yeah. find a way to get two. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. So uh, before we get to our next question, we will thank our friends at Congruity. Congruity has been a fantastic addition for us. Uh, I talked to uh, talked to the man with the Select Shades uh, Empire. There, he's really enjoyed Jonathan. And Jonathan's done done a great job. Uh, according to him, with what they've uh, brought on board, he was looking for a, a PEO and happened to be a longtime listener of the Nolcast. We put him in touch with our friend Matt Lewis, and I think they've been working together for three or four months now. So, been a great uh, great partnership for them. Been a great partnership for us, and by all accounts, they've done uh, real good things with the two properties of the under under the table <laughs> under the table restaurant group. Under the table restaurant, <laughs> they, they really are an NIL organization. Now, yeah. <laughs> I might, I might go, and uh, if that's not taken by somebody else, I may do that uh, tomorrow. But uh, for yeah, the we, table we, restaurant we that. properties has been a very good pairing. So, uh, congruity, great for us. We think it'd be great for you. Uh, you can reach them uh, online by going to their website, congruityhr.com. Email Matt Knowles, N-O-L-E-S, at congruityhr.com, or via phone, 844-247-4100. Awesome, man. All right. Uh, a couple more here we, we, we can do tonight. Maybe we'll have to do two this, this week. We've had a lot of really good questions come in. Uh, so Brett writes, with the new NIL in place, do you see this reducing dollars to the boosters? If Madso has a limited budget for donating, uh, would they be better off paying a player to advertise than giving to the boosters? The reward seems more immediate if they're paying a player. Are the boosters now in competition with players for money? Thanks. Love the show and the insight. I actually am going to be contrarian here, dude. I'm saying no. Well, okay. They're technically, like, technically the answer is yes, but I really don't think that the money that they're competing for is that big. Most of your people still want to want to support the school. It's an altruistic thing in nature. They feel better about it. There's more certainty in supporting the school than there is in supporting the player because who knows? Your player might all of a sudden start popping off and saying things against the school or transfer. Pretty sure the school is not going to transfer. Um, there's also kind of value in supporting the school, whether or not the, the team is actually good. Whereas the the value of players is a bit more dynamic. And the question also sort of presupposes that the uh, the money going to players will come out of the budget that is already going to schools. When we both talked about sort of the uh, what's the political term, dark money in the market that is not really competing against going to schools already. There will probably be some people who have to make a decision, do I want to support the school or the player? And then certain amounts. And I'm sure that part of this is going to be like, hey, some of these businesses do have to make a choice. So far, as my knowledge, I don't think Madso has decided to have anybody sponsor them, right? Have they? I don't think... Or no, no football players. Yeah, I don't think they've walked down that uh, that road quite yet. Like, Matt listens to our podcast. He... We just walked down how five and seven, all the fans hate it, but Vegas has a real reason for saying five and seven. Um, there's not a lot of marketable players on this team, especially not at the dollars they're asking. $1,500 a month is, is what I, I, I saw that got sent to one business owner. And who on this team would you pay $1,500 a month to do marketing for you? Yeah, if you were quote, truly interested, my high school wrestling quote goose egg. I mean, yeah. it's just uh, just not there. I mean, it Travis be, Hunter. And well, that's yeah, it. that's I was going to say the the value is in players that aren't yet on the roster. 
Uh, oh, we I got mean, this one on Twitter, by the way. Is there, so let's say you get Travis Hunter for the next three years. Is there any coach on the staff that you would rather have guaranteed to be for the next three years than you would have Travis Hunter for the next three years? So like basically, I think what the questioner on Twitter said was, or what he meant was, If you had to have the opportunity for somebody to pick Travis Hunter off your team or any of your assistant coaches, the answer is Travis Hunter, right? Like his value to the team is better than any of the assistant coaches. Are we just doing assistants? Because if it's Mike you Norvell, Norvell? Uh, I don't know that this university can go through another head coaching change. And I, right, I, I agree. I agree. Look, I'm the biggest Travis Hunter fan there is. All right, I'm obnoxious about it. Um, that's the only name that I would I would be concerned about. Uh, I don't, I don't know that you can do that. Uh, and you know, I, I would have concern for the, what the long-term impact would be on the program. Uh, not as though the changes and turmoil that existed over the last four years haven't had a long-term impact on the program. They have, uh, but I think you're heading in the right direction. And I think your recovery efforts, even with, uh, Travis Hunter on the roster would be, no, it'd be a, it'd be a tough blow to take if if Mike Norvell were to leave tomorrow. So yeah, I I agree with that. Um, do you do you uh, have a different take by the way on the idea of boosters competing for dollars? Um, I mean slightly. You know, some of it will go, but uh, very slightly, bud. And, and I'd, I'd love to love to disagree with you. Uh, but uh, I mean the so the boosters who are giving at a level that's say $100,000 a year, right? Those are guys that are not, um, like you said, it's more of a ingrained thing to support the institution. That's what they're going to do. They're not going to go out and look for, you know, necessarily new avenues. I also don't know, maybe we should speak to our, I'd be interested in knowing what the tax implications uh, and how that varied because a lot of people love Florida State uh, but a lot of people love some of the tax benefits that they get from giving to the university as well. And I don't know how that would be uh, necessarily impacted. So uh, that would that would skew in my answer. Uh, you know, maybe the booster who's who's engaged in some, you know, off the, the books. Uh, but again, that's money that in theory is already going to a kid or his uh, surrounding quote unquote team. So I don't think it'll be altered all that much uh, in the long run. I do think there'll be some select uh, instances where it isn't good. That's the whole, that's the whole, in my opinion, the whole damn reason for this. I mean, less, less $900,000 waterfalls and, you know, more kids that don't have to have their mom and two siblings sleep on their floor. Cause that's the only place that they think is a, is a quasi safe environment for them. I mean, I, I am all for, for getting more money in these kids pockets. And, and, uh, I don't think we've, you know, been shy about saying that, but I don't know that there will be a huge, uh, you know, dilution of the uh of the booster base either because of this yep i i, I totally agree with you on that all right let's uh let's take the last one here and uh and get out of here tonight so dean writes while i understand we're currently justifiably optimistic about our current trends in recruiting i worry florida state could become decommitment central if we face plan on the field when the season starts when i try to be objective about our current team uh, the experience and lack of size gives me troubles. I grade them out as follows. It's also worth, uh, I believe Dean submitted this question prior to the most recent edition uh, that we led off the show with. But 
Uh, he gives grades to position groups, and they are as follows. Along the offensive line, currently a C minus. Tight ends D, backs C, wide receivers B, quarterback B if Milton uh, and if <laughs> Travis a C. Okay, interesting uh, grading there. Defense, interior line C plus, edge rusher C, linebacker C plus. Maybe a little optimistic in DBs at a B plus. So while this is somewhat distressing, Dean writes, if we need to go to backups, we fall off the edge of the earth. Am I being too critical? Can you please grade out the team for us to see where I may be too pessimistic? Dean also writes he's currently enjoying sardines smothered in Louisiana hot sauce and isn't sure when his wife is going to give him the time of day again. So, Dean, I appreciate the support of our sponsors and hope that, uh, you know, marital bliss returns uh, accordingly. <laughs> Dean, we look, we absolutely love Louisiana hot sauce. It is delicious on saltines. You got to get the mad so, man. You got better options to put Louisiana hot sauce on. Unless saltines wants to sponsor us, and then they are a great option as well. We are always for sale. Uh, no, uh, look, Dean, I think you nailed it. By the way, Dean, I do have to say, the way that you wrote this, as far as the, your use of slashes instead of dashes or colons or semicolons or something like that, and this may just be the copy-paste that we did in, into, the, into the sheet we used for the show prep, is giving me a seizure. Uh, so I've, tr- <laughs> I've tried to read this. It's as a challenge. Major challenge. props to you for, for getting this read right, dude. Like, uh, this is tough. So. If you guys can picture this, the way Dean wrote this was offense, colon, space, line, space, backslash, C minus, comma, space, tight ends, similar, uh, like naming slash grading convention. All right. I think I got it now. Overall, I would say that you are probably correct. We do need to establish, like, is this a, what is the grading scale? Like compared to teams nationally, compared to teams in the ACC, compared to like the Florida State standard as far as being in a national conversation, I think he's probably grading these based on on nationally, right? Uh, or well, no, probably maybe by ACC standards. I would say because if you went nationally, that's 130 teams. Some of these grades are going to be a little bit too low for for that. I mean, you did just take a guy. Who we're not sure if he's going to start in Kushney away from Purdue. Purdue's a scholarship program. They're a power five program. So, um, you know, I, I think these are mostly fair. Tight ends, I would, well, I gave him a D. I'm not going to go lower than that. The line getting up to a C minus, I think is appropriate, right? I, I guess like that would mean below average. That's fine. Receivers, uh, receivers is where I would say no. I, I, th- I have to give the receivers like, like a C minus at best. Um, no hill so far. FSU says they expect him whenever he joins. They're excited to have him. We'll see. Uh, Parchment, we have to see what he can do. I think there's some potential there. The rest of the guys don't really scare me. There's ups, there's upward mobility, certainly at that number. But do you think C is too generous, not generous enough, uh, for receivers? I think it's um, well. He gave the wide receivers a B for their supporting. Oh, damn. Their, okay, your struggle. Oh, then, with, uh, then most form. certainly not. That's not good. No, like, um, I, like I'm fine with the backs having a C. Nobody's special in that backfield that I've seen so far. I don't think there any, there's anybody obvious in that backfield who's like no doubt going to get picked by by the league. Receivers a B is way too high. 
receivers don't scare anybody in the, in this league. To, to, to me. Um, I, I'm, I'm okay with the greats. I, I would have the backs. I am slightly uh, more optimistic than, backs, than the backs than you are. Uh, we've talked about that. Not a do you have huge, a guy there or is it more of like a, a numbers game? Um, I, I do think, I don't think Corbin's going to take the world on fire, but I think he's poised to have a, a better season than some expect from him. Um, so we'll have to see there. And I like what, you know, what Toll Philly ultimately can become. Uh, also fascinated to see, well, this is just muddy in the water. So we're an hour and 10 minutes into a pod. So, um, <laughs> yeah. they brought to me days. Well, I was going to say if, if Jordan, if Jordan Travis ends up being deployed more as back than a quarterback, that would change my, my grades here. Uh, but, um, Milton is a B. Yeah. We'll see. You know, uh, most of those are all right. Uh, like you wide receivers is a B. I'm not sure where that grade come from. It came from, I'd, I'd probably have them closer to a C minus. I'm going to give Dean credit and, and assume that it was a typo. <laughs> It's uh, that's the same leniency that Bud gives me on on many of my uh, uh, gaffes. So uh, we'll move to the defensive line interior. He has a C plus. Yeah, that's that's good enough for me. Edge rushers C. I'd have that grade higher again uh, to his uh, defense, uh, if we want to use that term. Dean submitted this prior to the uh, the previous commitment that we've talked about. Linebackers at C plus, probably half a grade too high for me. Uh, DBs at B plus. Uh, I might have them at a B, but we're kind of splitting hairs. Uh, I'm actually a little more optimistic here. Um, at one position, I think the interior defensive line is more that B minus B range. If we're judging by ACC standards, it's not Clemson. It's not NC state. It's not Pitt. And there's a couple other teams out there who I think are, are pretty good on the interior, but like, I, I think Lovett and Cooper can be a good combo for you. I, I do. I have some hope that Briggs can be a good player for the Knowles. Behind them, totally agree, Dean. The drop-off is significant. It's an issue. They're trying to address it in recruiting with mixed results so far. Uh, but I, I think, you know, if we're gonna if we're gonna sit here and give, give the backs a C, uh, and we're gonna give the receivers B, which you and I are not, but Dean did. And we'll see what the listeners have to say about this. I think like a B minus probably for the interior defensive line is is appropriate. Edge rushers, there are coaches on this staff who think Jermaine Johnson is the best player on the entire team. Knowing that, I think you probably need to give them that C, which may sound crazy, but the rest of the guys, I don't really know if they can play. So we'll see. Everybody wants to talk about how Kando and Robinson didn't do anything. But you know what they also didn't do? They didn't lose their jobs. They kept being run out there because FSU didn't have anybody better. And that should scare you a little bit if you're prognosticating on this team this year. Linebacker C plus, I can't get there. I mean, some people had some flashes. We have no idea how healthy Emmett Rice is going to be for this season, assuming he can play. I know initially there was a worry like about him playing at all, but I think most people think he will play. Uh, I can't get there with the C plus DBs. I have some faith in Marcus Woodson, uh, more faith than I do at the linebacker spot as far as you know ability to produce a product. And uh, I think you have a lot of talent there. And hell, you got a guy like Miko Dotson who's going to be fighting for a starting job. 
who knows? I don't think you're going to get much out of Demari Tate this year, just given the, another you know off season injury this time. I think last time was acting in the red shirt. But think about it, you have Travis J. You got a you got a bunch of other guys there who I'm going to play the odds game again that that they have four or five guys emerge who don't suck. In addition to all the transfers they just brought in to to increase the competition there on the back end. But Dean, I mean, we're talking about a team that their over under is five and a half wins. And nobody is rushing to hit that over. At least nobody who's betting a lot of money. That thing has not been popped to, to six and then a bunch of juice going to it. There's been other ones that have moved quite a bit. The guys who do this for a living or who supplement their income by betting on futures and sports and whatnot, they're not, they're not loving that number. Um, and I can tell you that because there's not a whole lot of $5, $10 guys putting money on futures this time of year. It's the dudes who sit down, do their research, know what they want to fire on. There hasn't been a ton of money coming in on the Knowles over. These grades are appropriate grades by ACC, ACC standards for a team that is projected to be fighting for a bowl. I think, I think they're, they're mostly just fine. We, we can quibble on a couple, but I don't have any major problems with them overall. I think you did a good job. All right, guys, I think that'll be uh, it for this episode of the Nolcast. As always, we uh, greatly appreciate any support we give you. We've gotten some great iTunes reviews recently, uh, so that's always uh, you know silly how important those matter, but they do if you have a chance to leave us five stars or a quick comment. Know that it's greatly appreciated from Bud and myself. Um, big shout out to our Patreon uh, supporters. A lot of good questions over the course of the summer. Received some great support. Uh, recently from them. So thank you so much. If you have an interest in being a patron, you can go to no, uh, patreon.com backslash Nolcast and uh, see what's possible as far as you supporting the show. So uh, from myself, from Bud, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And we will uh, hopefully, we'll try to be back uh, later at the end of the week, maybe during, put out another weekend show uh, for you. Uh, so until then, this has been the Nolcast. This has been the Nolcast. The Nolcast is created and hosted by Bud Elliott and Ingram Smith, music by Judson Wright, and produced by Justin Robinson. Go Knowles.